Today, we are continuing in our series called The Night Before Christmas. And we're focusing on what happened the night before Christmas in three areas. Last week, we talked about Bethlehem, where it all started. Today, we're going to talk about Jerusalem. And next week, where, well, there's a musical next week, so I invite you to come back for that. But after that, we're going to talk about what happened in Rome. And as we go through this series, this, there's this common theme that we're picking up every single week. And that is that people were so preoccupied and distracted that they sort of missed out on the birth of Jesus. Of course, that doesn't happen to us, right? So today, I want to transition from Bethlehem over to a much larger place called Jerusalem. In fact, Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. And what I want us to see and sense is the sense of hopelessness that had filled the land. This season, specifically in our church calendar, is called the season of Advent or the Advent season. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but it starts four Sundays before Christmas Day, and it ends on Christmas Eve, the one night before Christmas. And it's been recognized for centuries by millions of Christians around the world. And these four weeks are intended for us to prepare for the birth of Jesus. It is a time of expectation that builds up into this celebration as we remember that Jesus came to be born to save us from our sins. The word Advent simply means the coming or arrival of someone notable. And it is a time that we celebrate that the birth of Jesus, and again, we anticipate the return of Christ. And during the Christmas season, we typically don't think about the second coming of Christ, but those things do go hand in hand. They should go together. And I think all of us know what anticipation looks like, right? I mean, we're starting to see it all over the place. Costco started in October. The houses around your neighborhoods are decorated. You started in your trees, and they're, they're lit up, and then you start wrapping the presents and putting them under the tree. And it's just a lot going on, and we get excited, and we get, begin to anticipate the time where we get to open these Christmas presents. And then we wait, and we wait, and it, we wait some more, and it just seems like things are never going to happen, especially if you're a kid. But let me ask you, have you ever waited so long for something that you begin to lose hope? Yes? No? You guys awake? We'll wake you up in a second. Because for me, I've, I've waited so long for some things to come to reality. Some things for years. I've waited for the right position, the right company, the right salary. I've waited for my prayers to be answered. I'm still waiting on some others to be answered. Because it seems like we're always waiting and anticipating something or someone. And yet we get to decide what we wait for and what we don't wait for, right? And I've realized that there's just some things that I'm just not willing to wait for. Like, I'm not going to wait on these long Black Friday lines. I just won't do that. I, I won't wait for the free snacks at Costco. They, they're either going to be there or they're not, and I'm not waiting in line for that. No, seriously, this last, what was it, a week ago, about Black Friday, uh, my wife and I were at South Coast Plaza, by the way, don't recommend it, it was full, it was packed, it was crazy, but I managed to walk into Nordstrom Rack, and they had this amazing sale going on, and I fought my way through some racks, and I found this shirt that I really liked. It was $6. After all the savings, it was, I think we were going to save about a million dollars, and it was going to cost me six, at least that's what they have you believe, but what I failed to recognize, and what I failed to notice was the pay line. And I'm not exaggerating, this pay line wrapped itself all the way around the store. And this is a big store at South Coast. So you think I bought my $6 shirt? 
I'm wearing it. No, I'm totally kidding. I didn't. <laughs> I, did, I, I couldn't wait. I, it's just not me. I, there's just some things not w- worth waiting for. So you and I get to decide what we wait for and what we anticipate. But the challenge that we find during the season is that the longer we wait, and we've been doing this every season, right, every single year up until now, and, and things don't come and go your way, then we start to lose hope. I mean, you don't mind waiting for a while, but after a certain amount of time, you do begin to lose hope. Well, I, I just want you to notice that this is the exact same feeling that Jerusalem was feeling during that time. Before Jesus came to be born, they had been waiting so long for a Messiah, and there was this sense of hopelessness that filled Jerusalem. The Old Testament is full of promises and and prophecies that the Messiah was going to come and rescue his people. In fact, more than 300 prophecies starting before chapter 3 in Genesis about the birth of Jesus. In fact, I I encourage you guys to go home as part of this season to just open up your Bibles and read all of one chapter, chapter 53 in Isaiah. To me, it's fascinating, but I'm going to read one verse out of that. And just keep in mind that as I read this, speaking of Jesus, this was written over 700 years before Christ was born. And it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. But centuries had come and gone, and generations had come and gone, and there was still no Messiah. And after enough time had passed, it was easy, and as you can see, it was easy to feel defeated and have this sense of hopelessness. There's this period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament called the Intertestamental Period, which was 400 years, around 400 years of history, which is also called the 400 years of silence because they didn't hear from God. This is why some publishers of some Bibles have this blank page separating the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not to divide the Old and the New, but it is a symbol of the silence from God. They had been waiting for God for 400 years. The prophets had stopped talking. The writers had stopped writing. And it just seemed like God had gone dark on them. And they were getting tired of waiting. So again, Jerusalem is feeling this sense of hopelessness that the Messiah would actually come and be born. Now, one of the last prophecies to be fulfilled before the long-awaited Messiah would come is that the walls of Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Well, they were rebuilt by Nehemiah 400 years before that. And now Rome has taken over control over the people of Israel, and God are now captive in the city of Jerusalem. So they're waiting desperately for this God to come and rescue them and that he was going to send them this mighty warrior who can defeat their enemies and set them free from their captivity. And again, the longer they waited, the longer they lost hope and became frustrated. So they did what I think we all would do. We just carried on and we started seeking things that would fill our lives. They began to doubt that God was ever going to send the Messiah they began to forget the promises of God. I mean, they figured everything had stopped from a biblical standpoint, so might as well not wait any longer and make the most out of their time. And I think uh, we talked about it, at least for me, I'm not really good at waiting. In fact, I don't like waiting for anything, or, or, or I tend to get frustrated. You know, I don't even like waiting for the fast pass lane at Disneyland. Because if you think about it, I mean, 
you fight through the crowds, right? And now you have to go through security, which is another line. And then you get in line to go inside. And then you go to a ride, and there's another line that you have to wait at. And you now think, well, there's a long wait, so I'm going to get this fast pass thing so that I can go somewhere else and then come back and wait in line again. But you're already there, and somehow that's supposed to be faster. And so you get this fast pass, you go do other things, and you come back, and yes, the line is shorter, but you're still having to wait. So basically, the fast pass is, tells you, here's how long you have to wait before you come back, and then you get to wait some more. So I, I typically don't do well with stuff like that. But at least at Disney, I mean, and, and other places, but Disney in particular, they, they really make an effort to make things better. In fact, most rides have a sign that says, from this point forward, it's going to be this many minutes. And that helps you, right? Because you think that you're not moving, but I say, well, it's going to be 15 minutes. It's never 15 minutes. It's going to be like an hour. And at least you know that there's something going on, right? And then now people know that. So now those signs are even in the freeway. You're riding on the 91. It says from here to the 15, it's going to be 20 minutes or whatever it may be. And I think these signs do help because they at least show that you're making some progress. But I started thinking, I started thinking, I wish there was signs like that for my life, when I was going through some significant things in my life, like when I was looking for my job, it would have been nice to have had a sign that would say, from this point forward, it's going to be four months, Carlos. Or if you're trying to find the right person or the right relation or get accepted into school, it would be nice if you had a sign that said, from this point on, it's going to be three months or whatever. And even though it might seem like a long time to wait for some of us, as long as we know that we're making progress, then we can at least hold out for hope. But this is not the line that we find ourselves in life, is it? And it is the exact same thing that was happening to the people in Jerusalem the night before Christmas. They just didn't know. They'd been waiting for such a long time. They had been asking when the Messiah would come, but they never got an answer until one night. Read with me Matthew chapter 2. Open up your Bibles, and we're going to read from verses 1 through 12. If not, most of it will be in the screen. You're going to need to open up your Bibles when you get home if you didn't bring them so you can read the full story. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
know, last week, if you were here, we read the story of the birth of Jesus from Luke's account. And we found out about this guy named Octavius, who was later known as Caesar Augustus, who issued a decree. He was the sole emperor of Rome, issues a decree that everyone must return to their homeland for the purposes of a census, which we later find out it was also for a reason to tax the people. So after the birth of Jesus, we pick up the same story here in Matthew's account. And now he's talking about King Herod, the king of Judea, which was the same region where Bethlehem and Jerusalem resided. And while Judea was an independent kingdom, it was really under heavy Roman influence. And in fact, Herod came to power with Roman support. And there's a lot of great things to say about King Herod. I mean, he had exceptional leadership skills, but he was extremely disliked by the Jews because he forced heavy taxes on them. But mainly, he was despised because he, he pushed this Hellenistic view on the Jews, which means that he pushed Greek culture and language and customs, and, and that deeply wounded the Jews. Remember, this is the same Herod the Great, which he was later known as, who massacred all the children in Bethlehem right after that. And there's a couple of things that, that I want us to pick up from this story. The first one is that the Magi echo the fact that they had been waiting and asking. They came from the east because they had been searching for this Messiah to be born. They came asking the same question that all of Jerusalem had been asking for 400 years. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. Secondly, when Herod heard this, he became furious. The word says, I mean, that he was angry because he he was a jealous man. He was power hungry and always on the edge that someone was out to get him or to steal his throne. So he would do whatever it would take to stop them. And we know from a psychological standpoint that Herod suffered from violent mood swings because he was haunted by delusions of plots that are being formed against him to take his life. I mean, he would even execute family members for for information or would torture random people because he thought that they might be plotting against them. He executed one of his wives and three of his children because he thought that they were plotting against them. Think about what this man was like. And then he hears the news that there's been someone born king of the Jews. How do you think he felt about that? He was king of the Jews. Can you imagine the scene, the anger, how furious he was, the the tantrum, how irrational he might have gotten? And we know this to be true because if you skip this line here that says, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with them. That means he didn't stay quiet. That means that all of the people knew that he was an angry elf, if you will. But I would be too. I would be disturbed too if I knew how insane this man was and how irrational he was. What would he have done to me as a citizen of Jerusalem at the time because he was feeling this sense of hopelessness himself? And think about the the people from Jerusalem at the time. They don't have any hope right now that the Messiah is coming. And all of a sudden, this man is trying to stop any chance or any, any possibility of this Messiah coming. Talk about more hopelessness. So what does Herod do? He calls together all the main people, the teachers, the scholars, and asks, you know, what's going on? And they search the records and these ancient documents that we now have access to, and they find that there's this prophecy in the book of Micah. Micah is one of the prophets about a Savior being born in Bethlehem. And it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So upon hearing this, Herod calls the Magi to come to find this baby boy so that he can worship him as well, right? But we know that it's really a plot to just find the boy and kill him. So the Magi ignore that, and they go, and they find this baby. But when they get there, and they see this baby, all of a sudden, all of this waiting, all of their fears, all of their anxiety, everything had finally paid off. Because up until this point, everything seemed so hopeless in their lives. And when they took the time to wait expectantly and to wait patiently and not lose faith, God rewarded them in a big way. It says that they were overjoyed over seeing this baby boy. You know, the, the term magi comes from the Greek word magi, which is where we get the word magician. And I, and I need to explain that because for us, magicians do tricks, right? Or, or, or illusions to make us think they just did something. But this is not what they were, met, what they were known for at the time. They were known more for, to be wise because they were experts in three areas, astrology, chemistry, and psychology. They did study of the stars, they did alchemy, and they did dream interpretation. In fact, they were, they were more like scientists. And we're talking about genius-level scientists here. And keep in mind that they didn't have universities, all the books that we have today. Some traditions say these guys came from Persia, Babylon, or India. Others say that it came from China or Ethiopia. And we really don't know. We just know they came from the East. And they were also called kings because this links them to these Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah had been worshipped by kings. And it happens in a lot of the Psalms and Isaiah. And I, and I put some in the screen for you just to see them. But regardless of whether they were kings or not, or whether they came from Persia or China, Matthew uses the word magi to show that they were among the smartest, wisest people in the world, just like you guys, which got me to thinking, what would I do? Or what would you do if you were the smartest person in the world, which you are? What would you do with your life as you waited for the Messiah? Because the way I see it, the Magi had two choices. They could wait for the Son of God to come to them, meaning wait passively, or they could be proactive and go to Him. And we know that they chose to wait proactively. The question for us this morning is, can we do the same? Can you look for and go to God in everything around you? We know that the Magi read the scriptures. Are you doing the same? They followed the signs, and perhaps they were so focused on looking for this baby boy that they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through them, guiding them, or maybe an angel spoke to them in a dream just like he had warned them about Herod later on. But one thing we know for sure is that they knew that the star that they were following was the Messiah. They were sure of it. This Magi spent their entire lives looking for God all around them and looking for the Son of God who would be the Savior of the world so they could find Him, worship Him, and give Him gifts. Can we do the same? Can we use our gift to worship Him? And when the Magi finally get to Jesus, we know that they gave more than material gifts. They gave Him their time. 
their whole lives, worship, sacrifice. Of course, we know the Bible tells us that they gave him gold as a symbol of kingship on earth and frankincense as a symbol of deity and myrrh as a symbol of death because the Magi recognized Jesus' humanity, royalty, and divinity. Are we waiting expectantly and preparing? And what does it look like to proactively wait for Jesus in your lives? Whatever your life looks like as students, spouses, husbands, wives, children. Is there something that is keeping you from proactively waiting that you know you need to stop doing? Do you need to recommit this morning to doing the things that you know God is asking you to do? Because I'm telling you, all the busyness that I'm part of, and I'm just speaking for myself, I don't think God needs me to wait in the Black Friday line. He just doesn't. Maybe what is keeping you from expecting and preparing isn't about actions, but about what's going on in your mind, in your heart, and you're blaming God for things that he wants to work with you on. And maybe you need to share those things sometime with a fellow believer. Maybe. You haven't surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you said the prayer, you've accepted Christ into your heart, but you haven't fully, fully surrendered your life to Christ and to following Jesus. Because this is what we can learn from the Magi, that you can either wait passively, doing nothing, or you can wait proactively and anticipate and prepare. Or think about it from a different perspective, from King Herod's perspective, okay? King Herod could have easily traveled the four and a half miles to six miles as anticipated between Bethlehem and Jerusalem to see this baby boy for himself. If he was so interested in it, he could have gone himself. He wants to know about it, but he's just not as interested enough to go and witness this for himself. In fact, he is more concerned that the presence of Christ will interfere with his power and his position and his lifestyle And if you think about it, the world is filled with people who, like Herod, want to know, but are not actually looking for the one who will save them from their sins. Interesting. What we also learn from the Magi is that they waited faithfully. They waited patiently because they knew, you see, they knew that they knew that God had a plan. They went to Jerusalem to look for the Messiah. And at this point, remember, they still didn't know exactly where he was born. They were just following a star until Herod summons them to a private meeting. Now, picture that scene. Wouldn't you be terrified if someone like that calls you to a secret meeting? Yet God had a plan. He was about to reveal to them where this baby was. Because after King Herod got everyone together, they found out that he was born in Bethlehem. This was a detail that the Magi didn't know at the time. Sometimes we think things that are happening to us are really harsh and difficult when God has a plan to get you through them and is using them to get you to the next step. And in exchange for this vital information, Herod asked them when when the star had appeared so that he can have a point of reference to know when this child might have been born. Think about more. I mean, their plans could have easily have been derailed by Herod's plans. They get this audience with this tyrant, this paranoid guy, Anything could have happened, but they were wise enough to wait faithfully and trust in God's plan. Had that been me, see ya, 
I would have turned back and gone back to where I came from. It just seems too hard for me. Who knows what this man's going to do to me? And I think as independent people that we tend to think that we can only count on ourselves because the reality is that we are living in a world that is full of hopelessness. But we have to remember that God is in control. This story reminds us that God is in control and, and that he knows what's going on and that his ways and his plans are far greater than you could possibly know. So we must wait faithfully and patiently. In other words, stay the course. The Magi were proactive. They waited faithfully. And one more thing, they didn't get angry at God for not revealing the exact location. They didn't get angry at God for taking them through that route through where they had to meet with King Herod. God just gave them a start to follow. And I could see how fear might sit in after meeting King Herod and, after, and what that would have cost in their hearts to have maybe doubt or fear and not stay the course. But they did. They did stay the course. And it's the same thing with us. Oftentimes we tend to get easily angry at God when we think that things will never happen. Some of us are tired of waiting. Some of us are angry, maybe even at waiting, waiting for the right test result to come because you've been waiting for a long time, hearing the bad test results, waiting for that relationship to develop, waiting for you to get into that school, waiting for that perfect job or that perfect house. And you're hopeful for a while, but you're tired of waiting and you're starting to lose hope and you start to doubt that God even exists or that God is in control. And we have to be careful because we, when we start to lose hope, our hearts can and may become hardened. And then we stop caring. And this is the point of true hopelessness. And this is exactly what happened to Jerusalem before Jesus' birth. So I just encourage you this morning to recognize these patterns, if you will, of life with all the busyness of life. And that we would understand because we know the scriptures and we have that hope and we're not going to wait passively that we would just, if you haven't already, make the season about what is important, the anticipation and the preparation of Jesus' birth. Let's not let this mentality that this society puts on us, and I call it Black Friday. I'm totally kidding about that, but that just symbolizes so many things about what goes on in our culture, and we just need to fight against this mentality controlling us, but rather stay faithful in knowing that there is a reason and a season for everything and that God will allow it to happen in just the opportune time. But one of my most favorite things about the story, besides the story of Christmas, is that really the common theme is not only how much, how they preoccupied the people were and they were carrying on, but it, it, I'm just amazed by the primary mover in this story. You guys know who that is? God. God orchestrated all of this. Can we let God be our primary mover this season? Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. Maybe we heard a, the story of Christmas from a different perspective today. Lord, maybe there's something that you want to speak into our hearts for one thing we know, Lord, is that your word speaks truth into our lives. It is intended to just instruct us and to encourage us and to challenge us and to make us a, a better people than we were before we heard 
those words of yours. So we trust in your plan, Father. We trust in the fact that you are in control. Because of that, Lord, we will wait proactively. Because of that, we will wait faithfully and patiently for your second coming. And as we celebrate the season in anticipation that leads up to this celebration, Father, about your birth, Lord, we will try our hardest. And I commit, and Lord, I commit all of the people here to make it about you. Lord, that may be that we have to share with somebody else. That may be that we have to invite somebody to know about you, Lord. That may be that we get to pause and take a deep breath, Father, and stop doing some of those things that are not bringing glory to you. All this busyness, Father, we for, makes us forget about you. So we want to return back to you, Father, that you may be overjoyed, that we may be overjoyed as well by finding you and reconnecting with you and recommitting with you, Father. Yes, Lord, we celebrate with our families. You gave us our families. We love that. That's a reminder of your love, Lord, but we still want to make it about you. So we commit to be a different people as we walk out of these doors as a result of hearing your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.